I've gotten a little bit older, I think I've gotten just more comfortable with just owning who I am, not worrying about necessarily what other people think about who I am, but feeling more comfortable in who I am and what I present and who I want to be. For example, I used to really struggle with feeling like other black artists because I am married to a white person and like I live way out in the suburbs where I have no black neighbors. That doesn't make me like a real black person. Just like I've had growing up, my white friends tell me, well, you're not really black because you don't talk quote unquote black or you, you know, you live here with us. I've always dealt with this idea that like I don't present blackness in the way other, even other black people would want to interpret blackness. But I had to let go of that because again, the reality is that we all live a very varied experience in life. And I still experience on a regular basis, the same challenges that other black people do that of that, because this is just life. Hi, I'm Daphne Cohn. Welcome to the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations with the artists and makers who use creativity to innovate, disrupt, and elevate. Alicia Summer is a freelance writer and photographer who is, at heart, a storyteller. She is a mom of three, a lover of wine, words, and light. She began her own business at home as a young mom, wanting to know if writing could become a job and money could be made from stories. Now, nearly 10 years later, she earns a living from her creativity. But it's been a slow build that's required patience, perseverance, and consistency. In this interview, we talk about that slow build, and we also talk about finding oneself after parenthood, the truth of writer's block and how to move through it, being a black artist married to a white man, living in a white suburb, having grown up in white neighborhoods, and how to define who you are and build a business that you love. May you enjoy this conversation and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Welcome, Alicia, to the Creativity Habit Podcast. Thank you. Alicia, every podcast I do starts with your creativity story. How creativity showed up for you as a young girl? So. Yeah, so I have always been an avid reader. I mean, of course, there's a time at which I could not read, but I don't remember ever not reading a book all the time. And so I just had a very active imagination. And I think from that point, I really knew that I wanted to be a writer. Like, I've always had grand, very romantic and dramatic visions of like being a writer in a castle on the English bluffs, writing by candlelight. Also, I am a very old soul. And so mm-hmm. something like that, for whatever reason, sounded appealing to me as a child. But I just have always been a creative person. I used to draw fashion magazines where I would draw pictures of people and clothes and write descriptions of them and make jewelry for my friends. My mother is a baker. So I, you know, I was baking cookies for my friends by first and second grade. I just have always been a creator. You say that as a little girl, you wanted to be a writer. You dreamed about being a writer and very like Jane Austen style or something. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering like at what what makes someone a writer? And I ask that because I've heard a lot of people say, I write, but I'm not a writer. So for me, and I will say that my definition of writing and who or what constitutes a writer has definitely evolved over the past several years. And for me now, a writer is anyone who writes, like anyone who spends the time to get out their thoughts. It doesn't have to be fiction. It, it can be your own personal feelings and ideas and thoughts and the act of expressing them in written form to me is 
who a writer is. And some people are not as comfortable with that form of expression, but I do believe that everybody is creative. And I do believe that everybody can write. <laughs> like everybody has a story to tell. We're human beings. We're, we're experiencing so much in our, in our everyday lives that I do honestly believe that any person who just spends the time to put words onto paper as a writer. Was that a title that you came to own relatively easily or was that something that you had to work up to? I would say probably growing up, I always identified as a writer because I journaled all the time. In high school, my friends and I did like fan fiction. You know, this was back before I even knew what fan fiction was, but I had a, a friend who was super into writing boy band fan fiction. And so we would pass a notebook back in between classes and, and continue one another's stories. I always journaled through college. Writing has just always been a natural strength for me anyway, academically. And so writing has always been a part of my life. But then, you know, you, a lot of people go through that part of their life where like, okay, no, no more art or creativity. Cause like, that's not something you pursue for real. That's a side thing. That's a hobby. So I probably disconnected from the identity of a writer for quite some time until six or seven years ago when it started to be less about only journaling and more thinking about, you know, like how can I now as a stay-at-home mom, a person who is questioning like whether or not I want to go back into a traditional job setting, how can I make this passion and this natural strength and gift of mine like a job for myself? And so it has taken me some time to get back into strongly identifying with and relating to that, that identity of a writer. And that's the piece that I find so fascinating. I find it across the board is it's when we make that transition into getting payment for something that's often, not always, but it's often when we take that identity on, it's like somebody else is validating that with their mm -hmm. money. And that's what makes us the thing. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that that was actually part of your process as well. Yeah. It's funny too, because it's the same, I think for a lot of artists in general, I have a best friend who's a painter and she has always been artistic her entire life. And she, she did art in college. She's still a painter, but she's not being paid for it. So she is hesitant to call herself an artist or a painter, but you are, you always have been. And yeah, it's somehow we get kind of caught up in like the only way we can give ourselves that identity or honor it or, or own it is if it's validated through monetary compensation. But oftentimes you have to own it first before you can get the monetary. It's a chicken egg thing, right? right. Like <laughs> That's right. It's, it's just something to hold. I think it's a fascinating thing that we, we do that with art and with any kind of art and often any kind of making. It's very common. I know, Alicia, that you came upon photography because you said you were experiencing writer's block and needed a way to keep being creative. And I, I've heard certain writers say there's no such thing as writer's block. I'm curious what writer's block looked like for you. Mm. At that point in time, for me, it was me not wanting to write about a specific topic <laughs> anymore uh, you know like every every once in a while at least for me personally I do a lot of personal writing both publicly and like privately and like journaling and and just personal projects there's a lot of personal story honestly I think I was just tired of writing about this portion of my life I, I was just really ignoring what 
what my body, what my spirit needed to get out, I was just like, no, I'm done. I don't want to write about that anymore. So I just was not writing, period. And and now I realized too, like that's what writer's block continues to look like for me now is not a lack of ideas or inspiration as much as it is about me being resistant to what wants to come out. That's a great way to phrase it. Okay, so when you notice now that you're experiencing writer's block and you recognize, oh, this is because I'm resistant to what wants to come out, what do you do to shift out of that and welcome in whatever it is that is wanting to be expressed? Hmm. You know, honestly, sometimes it takes me a few days and I can be like, wow, I'm really angsty or I'm getting really chippy with my kids. I feel like my temper is short. And like, what have I not been doing? Like, oh, I haven't been doing my morning pages. I wonder what it is that needs to come out my morning pages. I should probably just go write a few right now. So a lot of that is just being reflective and really paying attention. What is it that I'm feeling? And why am I feeling this anxiety or this breathlessness? Like, what is it that I'm not doing? Like, oh, probably not writing. What is it that I need to write about? And this is advice that creative people talk about all the time. If you're not feeling inspired, sometimes you just have to work anyway. That's what I've figured out for myself too, is like, oh, I'm feeling blocked. I probably just need to go write, (laughs) even though I feel like I don't want to write, or I haven't felt inspired to write, or I feel like there's no time for me to write. More than likely, just getting through that. And even just writing, I don't even know what to write about. And I, I think Julia Cameron even says this in and her advice for morning pages and your writing practice. There are times when I just write, like, I don't really know what I want to write about. I don't know what I'm supposed to write about. I have no ideas. And then typically what happens is you write yourself back into momentum. And that's a great way to get started if you're feeling like I'm not feeling like writing or any whatever the the form is is to go into it with that. Like you don't there's nothing wrong with that but to say, I don't know. I don't know what I want to paint. I don't know what I want to write. I don't know what I want to bake. I don't know. And just, it might be a little trickier with baking, but (laughs) (laughs) But just, just start and allow that to be part of the process. So you're both a photographer at this point and a writer and both of them, you do beautifully. I, how does your photography inform your writing and how does your writing inform your photography? Ooh, that's a good question. So, for instance, I'll give you just take my Instagram account into account. That's probably my main platform for my photography. I do other things on the side, too, with it. But that's something that's been a a creative practice for me every day for a long time now. And it's mostly every day. I do take breaks. But I tell a lot of my artist friends who are struggling with creativity that you have to start with a smaller canvas. And I have three kids, so I am... I don't always have large chunks of time. You have to start with small, a small canvas. And for me, Instagram was like that perfect canvas size. You take a picture, you write something, and then yes, now I've, crea- I've created something for today. And like I could move on feeling good that I devoted some time to my, my art and my creativity. So the pictures and the writing kind of have gone together because they're easy. Like it's an easy thing to do and stay connected to my creativity. Both are forms of noticing. I think that's what I've learned too through developing my photography practice is that it allowed me and it showed me like just new ways to see everything around me. And when I started taking pictures, it originally started out as me 
capturing the light in my day because winter in Chicago is very long and often very dark and I suffer from a little bit of seasonal affective disorder and would go around my house throughout the day and be like, where is the light today? Where is the light? And doing that just helped me develop a different lens to kind of see my life. And writing is also, for me, it has been like a way of reflecting on life too. So I guess they help me achieve the same goals of like noticing taking things in, reflecting on them, but they're just different mediums. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because one of them is looking in a lot of ways outside of yourself. And one of them is looking in inside internally. Yes. You mentioned Instagram, you have this thing called coffee moments. And I heard you say, and when I heard you say this, I thought, Oh, this is great. So this is what I heard you say about social media, and then we'll go into the coffee moments for a second. You said, when looking at people through the veil of the internet, there is this perception that the other person has grand things going on in their lives. The reality is many of us live very ordinary lives. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't see the beauty in the ordinariness. And that's what you do with coffee moments. And Mm -hmm. before I have you explain what coffee moments are, I think that is so important that we step back from the whole glamorization of life and recognize the beauty in what is happening moment to moment. And so tell me a little bit about how how you do that with coffee moments. Yeah, it goes back to that whole idea of what is my real life right now. And like in the, in every morning, coffee is a ritual for me, right? Like it's a way for me to ground myself in the moment, usually before my kids come downstairs and, you know, the day begins, it's just become a, a part of my process of starting my day. And again, it, it also brings me back to the act of noticing, right? Like there's a, there's a pattern. I got to grind my beans. I got to fill the carafe with water. I got to pour the water in. I got to push the buttons and I wait and then it brews. And then I have something nice and warm in my hands. And I'm going to go sit and like collect my thoughts real quick before the day begins. And it's a very basic, normal thing, but there's a lot of beauty in it too. And I, I find beauty in, in all kinds of ritual. And like for me, making coffee every morning is, is a ritual. And so it's something that like I really honor every day and make space for. Those coffee moments are, are like literally the moment that I've poured coffee into my mug and I'm going to sit down and I'm like, okay. What am I thinking about today? What did I dream about last night? What do I want to share? What am I going to just make in this moment as an image and with my words, with my coffee? I think, too, there's something about that particular process because it's also kind of a shared thing. I'm not the only person having coffee at that time of morning. <laughs> a lot of people are. And it's been funny to, not funny, but it's just been really interesting and neat also to have people tell me that, like, they drink their coffee with me every single morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's it's also like this really beautiful, very normal thing that actually all of us are participating in, even though we aren't physically with one another. And it's magical. It's actually magical yeah. because the other thing that you're doing is you're taking the preciousness of life and recognizing it instead of trying to create preciousness in something that is much bigger or grander or, and, and putting that onto it, you're taking what you've been given, 
noticing the beauty that's in that and then sharing that. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of our interactions are so virtual and on platforms like Instagram specifically, where a lot of it is about like taking pretty pictures of like you doing something out somewhere. The reality is that I'm not driving to the city every day to, to go get coffee, to take pretty pictures, a shop that's got subway tile and, you know, and, and rustic <laughs> industrial design and, you know, beautiful latte art. I got, I'm drinking my coffee at home, like most people, <laughs> but it doesn't remove from it to your point, like the beauty of it and like that it's still special and that it can still be special. And sometimes you just got to figure out how to make beauty and like make a moment feel luxurious where you are. That's one of the simplest ways that I can like add luxury to my day is really taking time to enjoy my coffee. Yeah. So what you're saying is, yeah, you don't have to have something quote unquote interesting. You just find it where you are. And I take the, my pictures in the corner of my dining room every day. <laughs> Somebody asked me recently, like, where do you take your pictures? There's a wall in my dining room. And then that's where I go. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's very basic. Following on that same thread is I know that you're an introvert, that you said you're an introvert, that you write better than you talk. I often mm -hmm. felt that way. And I loved this. You said, I write letters to my husband because I can always explain what I need or I'm feeling through words. Do you find as an introvert that it's actually easier in some ways to share through something like Instagram and to express yourself that way than offline? Like, does that give you the space to delve deeper into your thinking and share that? Or do you struggle with that at all? It's funny because my husband last night was like, I think you need to write me a letter. I feel, like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe it's easier if you just write it to me. I'm like, I don't think I'm communicating to you what I'm trying to say. Like, really? Is that getting through? And I don't know if it's just an introvert thing or that as a person who like just really loves words, I'm also just super, I try to be very cautious about the words that I'm using because I understand the power of them. And I try to be very conscious about word choice. So when I'm trying to have a serious conversation or if I want, if I feel very strongly about something and I want to communicate it, I, I want to make sure that what you are hearing is what I really mean to say. And so I think writing gives you that opportunity to really hone in on what I want to say. And, but I also am a quiet person. Like I generally don't speak a lot, like a lot. So I think it's a combination of that. It is a little bit of the, that introvertedness, but it's also just that I I understand the power of words and I want to be super conscious about what I'm using and how I'm saying it and what I'm saying to present my argument or to like make myself feel heard and to not make people feel like they are being attacked or questioned if that's not my intent. I just I'm just really conscious about that process. It varies. Like sometimes you do need to speak things to tumble through your thought process. And some people are external processors and I'm an internal processor. And so writing gives me the ability to process things quietly through that meditative practice of just moving my hand on paper. Speaking of writing, you ran a literary magazine for a little while, Blackberry mm -hmm. Magazine. And the description of it was that you wanted it to be a premier literary magazine featuring black writers and artists. Its goal is to expose readers to the diversity of black women's experience and strengthen the black female voice in both the mainstream and independent markets. 
We hope to illuminate the new generations and reach back to those whose words may have been ignored. What is it about your writing and photography that you feel is specific to the black female voice that represents the black female experience? Hmm. So, so a lot of my photography, my self portraits are, I don't show my face. There are a bunch of reasons, but the a primary reason is that I feel it's important for black women specifically to, to have some agency over their image in media. This is, and this is my experience as a black woman growing up in pre- predominantly white neighborhoods, white suburbia, and then and being married to a white man, and then also still living in white suburbia so, and attending very white colleges. And so I've seen and heard a lot of things and read a lot of things. Seen and heard a lot of things. Negative. Negative. Negative stereotypes about black women, whether Mm -hmm. implicitly or some, some of it's very subtle racism and stereotypes, but there's just a lot of negative stereotypes and media showcasing black women. And that's, or that the assumption is that people growing up would ask me where I was from. If I said St. Louis, they'd be like, what part of the city were you in? I'm like, no, I didn't grow up in the city. I was in the suburbs of St. Louis. This assumption that because I'm black that I must have had an, an urban experience. I did not because there are black people that don't all grow up in the city. Like, It's just really interesting to me. As I have gotten older and I'm just more aware of if I want to go to a New York Times bestseller list or if I want to go into a library and I, or if I want to watch a television show, where are people that look like me? There's a growing percentage of black stay-at-home moms. I don't know hardly anywhere I am right now, and I really haven't met very many black stay-at-home moms in white suburbia, in my suburban areas where I have lived since I've been a stay-at-home mom for the past 10 years. And so some of that is also just challenging stereotypes. Lots of people assumed I was a babysitter for a while, and I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. these are my own kids, and I don't work. I have teachers that assume that I work outside the home and I'm like, actually, no, I stay at home. And I, I think there is a, a component to that that's race-based because I live in an area where lots of moms stay at home. So I don't know why I would be different. And that's what I meant to, what I wanted to also create with the literary magazine that showcases diversity of experiences is that just because I'm a black woman, not all of us live the same experiences. My experience is very different from my mother's who's whose experience is very different from her mother's. We are all black women. So like in some ways I'm, I am an anomaly, but in other ways I am not. And most of the people that I am friends with or in, am in community with, I'm probably the only black person they know. Not that I feel the responsibility to challenge them on what they believe about every black person, but it's also important for people in general to be like, oh, so this type of person does exist outside of what I've been told or shown through media because I don't actually have a personal experience with anybody else that doesn't look like me, but this is what's out there. And so I like that through the internet and through creating the magazine and being myself on social media, one, I'm able to connect with other black women who live, who do live similar lives to me. And then also know that there are other black women who don't and that we're all navigating this space in the creative community but also in just our everyday lives where we're trying to find that way where we can be ourselves and also challenging the stereotypes of like who we are and who we can be that are presented to everybody through culture and 
traditional media. I'm curious if you do you find at times that that's a lot to carry and to ask with your art? Or do you feel inspired by that? As I've gotten a little bit older, I think I've gotten just more comfortable with just owning who I am, not worrying about necessarily what other people think about who I am, but feeling more comfortable in who I am and what I present and who I want to be. For example, I used to really struggle with feeling like other black artists because I am married to a white person and like I live way out in the suburbs where I have no black neighbors. That doesn't make me like a real black person. Just like I've had growing up, my white friends tell me, well, you're not really black because you don't talk quote unquote black or you, you know, you live here with us. I've always dealt with this idea that like I don't present blackness in the way other, even other black people would want to interpret blackness. But I had to let go of that because again, the reality is that we all live a very varied experience in life. And I still experience on a regular basis the same challenges that other black people do that of that because this is just life. So I don't carry that weight of it as much anymore. Although I will say sometimes now having three kids who are biracial, two of them boys, we are all pretty familiar with police brutality and in social justice and racial justice, especially now in these last five, seven years. I am more conscious about choosing the right time to use my platform to remind people that like, I know I don't talk about race that much, but just so you know, I am still black and I've got black sons and black (laughs) children. And these things really matter to me. And if you are kind of not on the same page, just know, (laughs) you you enjoy my coffee pictures, but we we may never be friends in real life. Mm. I, I think also for people who find themselves having a large following on social media are just like putting themselves out there in general with their art and their work. You you find your boundaries for who you want to be and like how much you want to share. And so I think a large part of that for me is also just being very careful about what my boundaries are and being protective of those boundaries. Every couple of years, I got to say something and like, or every couple of months, I got to say something to remind people. I'm like, by the way, this is what I believe. And also this is my experience. Just so you know, like these things really affect me. that's been kind of a, a, cha- a challenge that I'm growing through. And so, you know, Alicia, I think too, it can also be a gift because when you share your experience, there's a lot of us who are hungry for a glimpse into each other's experiences to get to know each other on a more intimate level, on a more, on a deeper level. So that's another side of that. And it's fascinating because one of the things you said was around identity, like, oh, I'm not black enough that other people would say that to you and that you would feel that. And it's interesting because it's, it keeps coming back to who chooses the identity, whether it's as an artist, as a writer, as a black woman. It's like we let other people choose that identity for us, whether it's when they give us money for our art, for what we create, whether it's when they tell us, oh, no, you fit here so you can call yourself that. And the reality is it's a completely internal decision. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to see that come up in different places. And it does for all of us. Yeah. When we do some of like our the writing workshops that I facilitate with my friend Robin, identity is a, a thing that comes up a lot, either in our content or even in just people's responses to the content that we offer. And I do think that that's part of the reason that I love the writing process too, is that it is so internal that you are challenging yourself about yourself. I think that it, it provides you that space to like challenge yourself when it comes to who, who you are, who you want to be. 
to remind you again through my faceless portraits that like I do have some choice like in how I want to be seen. Speaking of the choice and also just being fully who you are, there's a something that you had said, you sp- just spoke about this a minute ago. So it was perfect. In the quote, you say, in writing courses, people want to sound a certain way, and so they struggle with the writing, the expression of that desired sound. The most important part is that you have to find a way to sound like yourself, which means you have to be comfortable enough being yourself. And then at another time, you said, you have to choose to do and be you. The longer you wait for permission, the longer you'll be alive without truly living. I can't even begin to describe the blessings that have come to me from simply believing that I was worthy of doing whatever was necessary to feel embodied and empowered as a wife, mother, friend, as a woman. Okay, the first question I have around that is, what did the path look like for you as you begin and as you continue to evolve more and more into who you are? So it really started the real work of trying to figure out who I was or like who I wanted to be and and reconnecting with that. After I had kids, I got married young. I got married when I was 22, like freshly 22 and had a baby not that long after that. And then I had my second child not that much longer after that, my daughter. And I was like, motherhood can, motherhood can change you a lot. And just, I think it just makes you more reflective of like who you are as a person. I think mother, I think parenting like does that to you. Like when you, once you become a parent, you're like, wait, who am I? Because I need to figure out how I grow these people. Like what are the thoughts and values I'm going to instill in these human beings as they, as they grow up? I got to get clear on like who I am and, and actually what it is that I do believe so I can do this. And so that's kind of where it started for me where like my daughter was born. I'm like, you know, I want her as a woman to believe like she's capable of doing anything so she can be anything she wants to be and that there's all these options for her. And, oh, am I doing that for myself though? Because kids learn by example, <laughs> mostly. We, we model that for them, especially in these early ages. I just started heavy self-discovery work because I had been so disconnected too. And parenting also can, especially those early years where like there's no sleep, people are crying and screaming at you <laughs> a lot, like to do everything for them. You do get disconnected from yourself. And I, I think also being a young mom, most of my peer group was and still is probably about 10 years older than me. And when I was participating in a lot of online groups of women who were on this path to self-discovery, I was encountering a lot of women who are in their like early 40s or their mid 40s or or in their 50s. And they're like, I don't know who I am. And I was like, crap, like, I don't want to be out like <laughs> Like everybody has their own path, but I was like, I don't want to be 45 and try to figure out who I am. Like I, I hopefully I can figure this out sooner rather than later. Cause I think I'll be happier if I do. And that's just the wisdom too, of being able to be in cross generational conversations. Like I knew I needed to figure out who I wanted to be. And like, I, I'm still only 32 and like that awareness too, that like you're constantly shifting and growing and and I am also just naturally a seeker. Like I have interested in growth in general and just learning new things and so that's just been really important to me and I and I noticed that the more I discovered about myself like really took the time to learn about myself and reconnect with my passions and some of that was trial and error there's a lot of time where like I was doing a lot of things that just really didn't feel right but the point was to be doing them you had to narrow like narrow it down these are the things that I used to do right because there's all these things well when I was a kid I did this and when I was in high school I did this when I was in college I was super into this 
does any of that fit into my life right now? Or what are those feelings that I got doing those things that maybe I can achieve now, but they're going to look a different way? I think a lot of the things that give us joy and passion, they don't necessarily change, but we have to shift their appearance or the, the container that they come in to fit the person we are now. And so just spending a lot of time doing that has just helped me develop my own voice. And yet at the end of the day, at some point, you just have to trust yourself too. And that's a practice. I, there's definitely weeks that I go through where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. None of this matters. Let me just go back to baking brownies every day and, and, and not spending time on, on my art because I don't really know what I'm doing. But once you develop that practice of trusting yourself, I think the art and the creativity then helps take care of itself. A lot of it is just being comfortable enough in who you are and like trusting that in what you want to do and like really believing that you're meant to do it. That's that source and like that energy get you going and to be comfortable with writing your voice or expressing yourself through your art in whatever form it takes. Okay. So the first question I have around that, I have a couple. The first one is as you get clearer and clearer, at least at this point in your life, like this is who I am. And you look back into the past and you say, okay, what was it about that? Or is that still true for me? Do you find it challenging ever to let go of ideas about who you were in the past in order to be who you are now? Or you just move gracefully into mm. that? No, I, we all have we all have a habit of clinging on to things, and so there are definitely things that like I had to let go of. I was a runner, and I ran a lot. I used to it was my stress relief. I used to always run. My knees just don't like it anymore. Like I can't do it. And every once in a while, I see people in my neighborhood jogging around, and like I got friends that run marathons. I'm like I should go running. Like I don't know. Because I also don't want to be in pain. That identity of being an athlete was really hard for me to let go of. Just because like, I physically can't do some of those things anymore. I have to find other ways to get the movement. But it's never going to be running again. Just kind of letting go of that. As an introvert, I like to be alone. I've got three kids and a husband. The reality <laughs> is that yeah, my husband works from home. Like 98% of the time. So the reality is that I'm never, ever, al- <laughs> like, ever alone. I'm alone today, which is rare. But like I'm never alone. And that one's a really hard one for me. Like I'm a person that really loves solitude. I need it to recharge. And that's part of that highly sensitive and that introvert thing. I'm still navigating ways to increase my moments of solitude and have quiet in the very real life of that I'm living, which is that I'm have four other people that live with me <laughs> all the time. And so, and I can be kind of angry about that sometimes too, to be honest with you, because I just want quiet. Like I want people to not talk sometimes or to go to their own rooms and be quiet in their rooms alone. And so um, I think there are always, I think there's always things that we're going to cling to every once in a while. Finding ways to like achieve the feelings in some other way, or also just knowing that this is a season. It's going to be a long one where I'm not alone, but but there's going to be a time when it comes back. I'll be alone again soon. That's the truth. And, and acknowledging that and being able to hold that without feeling like, oh my gosh, well, I must be a terrible mom or I must be the, to just go, no, that's all part of it. Just in the way that that's all part of us becoming who we are is owning every piece of it. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the transition. So when you became a full-time mom and, or stay-at-home mom and thought, okay, 
am I going to, what am I going to do with this art, with creativity? How can I get it out into the world? How did you start to get your writing and photography out? Because you've been published in a lot of places. You definitely obviously have made yourself known as a writer and as a photographer. So uh, how did you start down that path? Very slowly. I started blogging. So this is almost 10 years ago now. I probably started blogging eight maybe eight years ago, back when people were still blogging, because I don't know if people really blog anymore. I don't know. People don't blog anymore. And it was basically just an online journal. But that was kind of this process of me getting my writing just out and also it being a little bit more public, which is there's something to be said, too, about accountability that way. No, we always say that, like, you don't need to be validated, but it's a human thing to, like, seek a little bit of that right now now I'm much better like I don't I'm not seeking as much outside validation as I used to but in the very beginning I was like okay I want to write this what's the response like do people like it is it relatable and also because it's personal I'm like do people even want to read my own personal thoughts like is that a thing but it is a thing so there's a there's a whole category in a, in a in bookstores for that kind of thing that's kind of how that started and then I got this really great opportunity to write for a life coach Molly Mayhar and she does Stratajoy and at the time she was doing like she had like guest bloggers who were going through like their quarter life crisis transitions and it was just a really great opportunity like that's what really catapulted me through did some work through her just about kind of that same thing of self-discovery like who am I like what do I want what are my goals what are my dreams in this moment right now as I sit and then being able to be a guest blogger for her and writing through these different themes and publishing work publicly that lots of strangers were reading, it was really powerful for me because there's that accountability. There were people connecting with my writing and it was like, okay, yeah, like I have something to say and it matters and people connect with my story. And I think that's been my approach to writing all along is then is that ultimately in my photography and in my writing, I appreciate the connection builds and fosters because that's how we pass down information and we get wisdom through story. And a lot of the times, especially in in the way our world is so virtual and like I always make fun of like the suburbs, like it's, I call it like the garage door syndrome or like they, they leave out of their garage doors in their cars and they drive into their garage and then like the garage doors close and like you don't see people. Like it's in a way it feels so dis- disconnected and being able to share my own writing and being able to read other people's writing, it helps you remember that like one, your problems are actually kind of universal. (laughs) Like you're not the only person, even though it feels like it going through this thing, there's a lot of people are going through it and people relate to that. And like, that's what connects us as humans to your point. Like I've had the opportunity and I've been very grateful to have been published in quite a few places, but that's been over the course of like eight years. I've been a slow build. And so being patient to take my time and fit what I could in with my like my real life because I am a stay-at-home mom. I don't have there's no nanny. There's never been a nanny so I could go off write things during the daytime when my kids were home. It was always done in the in-between spaces. Um, and then there was a time where like I did a lot of free writing and my husband was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Don't worry. I know I'm not getting paid for this. And, like I gotta start building my momentum and I gotta start doing like the right fit things." And it doesn't make sense now, but like you're going to see it later. And that's why I always tell people it, it, on the outside, it may seem like 
I'm doing a lot or like I, I'm, I've gotten to this point and I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm like, I've been slowly working on it for a long time and just now seeing the rewards. And so just knowing that I needed to be patient, I think is what has also helped so that like I didn't give up too soon. And there's something else that's played a role in all of this. And I want to touch on this as we're finishing. I want to touch on the piece of visioning, of knowing mm-hmm where it is you want to go. And you had said in an interview, if you're skeptical about vision boards and spending time visioning, don't be. It is worth your time to dive deep into your dreams. It's worth the time to pay attention to your dreams and to put them into a container that is visual or any way that is going to make you think about it and hold it for yourself and honor it. What aspect, how has visioning played into all of this for you? Mm. So that goes back to with Molly. And I think that was like the first time I'd been in, even introduced to the idea of like visioning and what vision boards were and like this act of really writing out and being very specific about your dreams and goals. A lot of us know goal planning, right? But goals, at least for me, were in a past life, a very academic or a very like a corporate traditional job thing is goal setting, right? Like what are your quarter one goals, your quarter two goals? So to have a more, more creative language around goal setting was very helpful to me. Like a friend of mine had given me given me this book called Visioneering, which is about vision, clearly. And like over time, whatever for whatever reason, serendipity, like the universe just sending me the right materials. I was introduced to a lot of people who were all about this belief that if you spend time getting clear pictures and words what I loved about visioning was that like I could go through magazines and rip out pictures that just spoke to me and like at some point they kind of all made sense and they flowed and there's a way to organize just pictures and pictures were easy to look at and like digest and um, humans are also very visual creatures anyway like we process a lot of information through our sight to always be in that process of thinking about possibility, things are possible, but you have to think about what could be possible. And that it's very easy to just accept that what your life is, is like how it always has to be. And I think that practice of visioning has just helped me keep an open mind to what could be possible. And I will say too, like, this is also where privilege plays into to this ability, because I'm also very conscious about like, the fact that my husband is the primary breadwinner and and he makes enough to where I am able to stay at home to even spend time to think about my dreams. And I know that for a lot of people, that doesn't seem very possible if you're like a single mother or a single parent and you don't have a partner and you're working a full-time job or two jobs to try to just live and survive. So I am also very grateful and very privileged to even have space really think about my dreams and my goals. But I think if you can squeeze out that time and find a way to devote a little bit to possibility, that energy of hope, there's just that hope, possibility is what helps me to get new opportunities and like just see different opportunities where maybe I wouldn't have seen them before. That's great. And that visioning is what has led to what is now your website, all your work. And I, I want to mention your website because you mentioned that you don't even know if people still blog anymore. And of course you still blog and it's the Alicia has a blog. Well, she has a website, but there's a place on it where she shares her writings. And I, 
strongly suggest that you check them out because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And mm-hmm. the, the style on the website is very like minimalist, like the very clean with the words. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you need to set aside a huge chunk of time to really pour in yourself into be able to read it. And so if you are a busy mom or you are somebody who's does not have a lot of time, there's still space to be able to mm-hmm. read what Alicia writes. And then you can take as much time as you want to, to be with the words. <laughs> but the Alicia's website is aliciasummer.com. That's A-L-I-S-H-A-S-O-M-M-E-R.com. Get to see her photographs. Really just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And Alicia, you also have a retreat coming up in April. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? One of those visions that I had seven years ago that is finally coming to fruition. So I'm super excited about it. My friend Jeanette, who's based out of Seattle, and I will be gathering with 14 women in Sonoma, California in April, the last weekend of April, to do a kind of like a mixed media retreat. So it's going to touch on a lot of different artistic discipline, but it's definitely accessible. I mean, I've got web designers coming. I've got stay-at-home moms coming. It, all of us are coming from different places so far, but Jeanette is just a wonderful leader and a, an amazing and beautiful and thoughtful maker. And so there'll be writing and photography and a little bit of hand binding and just being out in what I feel is one of the most beautiful places in the country. Wine country is very special to me. And I'm super grateful that our retreat location was spared from the fires. And actually a portion of our proceeds from the retreat are going to be donated to Fire Relief Fund for the residents of Sonoma County. So it's a way for us to also give back to the community that we will be spending time in. But it's just a, it's a makers and an artist retreat. It's going to be restorative as a place to rest, a place to make a place to connect with yourself and with other like-minded women. So I'm super excited about that. And there's a link to the retreat. Okay. So there's two last two things, part of every interview. The first is a gratitude. And what I appreciate about you is there's two things. One is the permission that you've given yourself to be who you are has it's allowed you to drop that much deeper into your writing, into your art, and through your writing, through even your your Instagram posts, which I love, through all of that, I have, and I, I mean this sincerely, felt a deeper permission for myself to be who I am. I, there's many times when I've been listening to you or writing, reading something that you're writing where I say, oh, that's right, this part of me is okay. And I get that from the way that you communicate. And that's from you allowing yourself to be you. And I'm just grateful for your writing and your photography, in particular, your writing. It is so beautiful. I just love it so much. Thank you. And the last question is, why do you think it's important, especially you're doing this retreat where it's mixed media, helping people make their thing? Why do you think it's important that people do make whatever it is they're called to make? Hmm. Oh, wow. You know, I think that one, like I said before, I believe we're all creative beings and we've just been disconnected from that part of ourselves, some of us, for a really long time. And there's something about making 
art, seeing, making your words, painting something, knitting something, whatever it is. Like when you give yourself permission to like, it, there's, it's playful. Like you get to connect with yourself. There's a sense of pride that you get from being engaged in your art and like seeing what you're capable of. And like, I, I think it just helps build this inner strength within you to keep doing more things that feed you, um, that make you feel more like more of who you are that connects you to your truth, the truth of who you are. I just, I just really feel strongly that people should spend time finding ways to express themselves. I just know that personally for me, how much my life shifted when I was able to express myself. Like, I, like everybody has a voice and that voice needs to be heard and we all have stories that we need to tell. And I am all for getting into a process that frees you up to really be who you are. And I think a lot of that happens through making art. So and I, I think that answers your question. It does. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Thank you Thank so you. much, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughtful questions. And it was just a joy talking with you. Wonderful. It was a joy talking with you. I'm Daphne Cohn, and you've been listening to the Creativity Habit Podcast. Head on over to thecreativityhabit.com to read this week's Day in the Life of printmaker Rosie Kirby. To read about the daily routines and practices of artists and makers, go to thecreativityhabit.com. You can follow The Creativity Habit on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to iTunes Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And then join me next week for another Creativity Habit Podcast. Thank you for listening.